0: Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists to care.
1: And good morning to you. My name is Kathy Kaler. Thank you so much for joining us here on uh, Discam Medical Monday. I have in studio with me Dr. Stan Lipschitz. We're talking about something that, as I'm getting older, I do certainly have a fear of it. But they say that if you understand something, it takes away the fear factor. And also... If you are proactive towards avoiding it I'm talking about dementia And I think that it's very, very important To distinguish between What is normal for us as aging human beings And what is not normal What are the early signs that you should be concerned about Now, I actually want to welcome my guest Dr. Stan Lipschitz Thank Ah. you very, very much
0: Thanks for the invite
1: Um, When one Is dementia the same as Alzheimer's? We hear about, you know, if people refer to it as an interchangeable term.
0: They're not interchangeable. So dementia is the global term for loss of higher mental function or, if you like, brain failure. Uh, So it includes loss of memory. It includes loss of orientation to time and place, speech and language difficulties, uh, difficulty planning and executing an act. So dementia involves a loss of high mental function and a loss of functionality. So it's like the symptom, it's like the cough. But lots of things can cause a cough, lots of things can cause dementia. So Alzheimer's is one of many different disorders which can cause dementia. You have others which are called, the major one is vascular dementia. So Alzheimer's is the most common vascular dementia where you have multiple little strokes in the brain. Uh, is the second most common, and then you have less common types like frontotemporal dementia, Parkinson's dementia, pugilist dementia, And a whole variety of other different causes of dementia. But the most common are Alzheimer's and then vascular.
1: Okay. So, what is normal in in human aging? If, uh, if we're talking in terms of dementia, like what what is happening in our bodies as we get older?
0: Yeah, look, uh, you must understand that <coughs> Excuse me, dementia is a disease. It's not a, a norm. So as we get older, you're not uh, definitely going to get a memory problem or a cognitive disorder. Uh, it's very common for individuals as they get older to have a perception of memory loss, the so-called senior moment, if you like. Yeah. You're trying to remember a name or you're trying to remember a fact or um, – uh, you know, you're uh, trying to remember somebody, and you can't. So long as your f- your functionality is intact, in other words, so long as you can cope independently in society, you don't have dementia. And you're still
1: aware that you need to clean yourself every day, and that you need to eat,
0: and all of those functions. We call them activities of daily living and instrumental activities of daily living. So the simple activities are bathing, washing, watering, feeding. Uh, that's um, But the instrumental activities are the ones that define whether you are independent or not. So the ability to use the telephone, the ability to do your shopping, to get the appropriate food, uh, to do your cooking, to manage your banking, to manage your affairs. If you can do all of that, you don't have dementia. Now, there's a, most, there's a, a variety between normal aging and dementia, and that we call mild cognitive impairment. If anybody wants to Google, they can Google MCI. So mild cognitive impairment is an impairment of memory, which is noticeable by the individual and probably by those around them, but where there is no impairment of overall functionality. Now, what we don't know is what's going to happen with people with MCI.
1: Wow. A
0: percentage of them progress on to develop dementia, which tells you that often the earlier signs of dementia sort of overlap with MCI. But some people with mild cognitive impairment remain the same forever. So we don't know. Uh, but if you've got that syndrome, it's important to watch it because it may progress on.
1: You said that it's a disease. Yes. Dementia is a – well, you said Alzheimer's is, is a disease. They're all diseases, yeah. Um What is the disease? What does it, how does it manifest in our bodies? What, what does it do to us physiologically?
0: That so depends which type of dementia you're talking about. So let's focus in on Alzheimer's, it is, which is, is said, the commonest. Most yeah. Now, what we don't understand is why it happens. We know what happens. So as you age, you develop certain changes in the brain. Uh, in particular, you develop deposits of certain proteins. Now, those proteins are normal in all of us and they become abnormally processed in patients who develop who are going to develop Alzheimer's. The two commonest proteins, the one is called amyloid protein. Now it's not the amyloid protein that's the abnormality because you and I and everybody have got amyloid protein. But it's abnormal processing of the protein. So for whatever reason the protein gets broken down into small fragments, those fragments then deposit in the brain. Your brain doesn't recognize those as being normal part of you so it mounts an inflammatory or destructive reaction against that protein and then you get destruction of brain tissue around that area
1: oh, and that's you why get, you see like the holes
0: yeah we call them plaques Plox. and then the other protein is called tau protein t-a-u and that also deposits in the brain and the, the combination results in damage of areas of the brain but also damage in the ability of different parts of the brain to connect to each other now, depending on where the damage occurs, so you'll have deficits. That uh, They always de- deposit in the front and the sides of the brain, the temporal lobe, we call it, and that causes the memory problem. If it deposits in the speech center, then you get speech problems. If it dep- deposits in the visual center, then you get visual problems and so on. So that's the, uh, the underlying pathology. And the problem is, this is the biggest problem is that these deposits in the brain, that, remember the amyloid and the tau that I talk, yes. the damage starts about 10 to 15 years before you have a symptom. So you've got this this underlying cascade of illness that's going on and you have no idea it's happening. And, we, and when we talk a little bit later about the challenge of prevention, the biggest challenge is to try and identify well before the symptom, who's going to get it and who's not going to get it.
1: How much influence does keeping your mind active have?
0: That's a good question. So one of the preventive strategies, if you're looking at a population level prevention, is in fact education, uh, education of the children. So the better educated your brain is, it gives you a little bit of a protection. And so, if
1: you, we, live in, we live in the information age. You know, you want to learn something. You can learn something new every single day.
0: Yeah, that applies, you know. Would to, that
1: have an impact?
0: It does and it doesn't. I mean, it's, you're talking about education. Now, we're very privileged in that we, you know, most of us will go to good schools. But in many parts of our society, there are kids who are not getting educated. And that will, will increase the likelihood of later dementia. So if you look at uh, – you and I were chatting earlier about the incidence of dementia. What's happening worldwide? Well, in upper, upper sort of first world countries, the incidence of dementia is going down. In the so-called lower and middle income countries, which is where we fit in, the incidence is going up. So the question is what's the difference between us and them? So in what first world countries, it's better education. And it's better education of society. So people living healthily, so controlling their blood pressure, controlling their cholesterol, controlling their weight, controlling their diabetes, uh, appropriate diet. And in terms of diet, the Mediterranean diet is the one that you want to aspire to. And then exercise. And if you combine all of those factors, you will reduce your risk of of Alzheimer of dementia rather, but up to about thirty to thirty-five percent, which is a huge impact. So, I mean, the biggest message people can go out is take control of your own lives and those around you. And the doctors also—we know we have to control blood pressure, cholesterol, sugar, weight, lifestyle.
1: Could it be also that in uh, in developing countries, you know, well, second and third world countries, that? The diagnosis is getting better. Could that be why the rates is going up?
0: No, I don't think so. I, I, you know, I think dementia is. Look, we're not. You, you're right in saying we're not diagnosing it too well. But I don't think that's why the incidence is. I mean, these are really good statistics that you are know. being done. Uh, so no, I don't think that's a good enough explanation.
1: Okay, my guest is Dr. Stan Lipschitz. We're talking about dementia. If you have any comments, any questions, then now would be the time. You're welcome to send them through. Let me give you the numbers: three four five one nine. That's a text line. Three four five one nine. Any questions about dementia, about Alzheimer's, about uh, you know vascular dementia, any of them? He's uh, He's an expert, darn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can also WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019. Got it? 061-895-1019. That's a WhatsApp number. My guest is Dr. Stan Lipschitz. We're talking dementia. This is the scam Medical Monday, and my name's Kathy Kayla.
0: Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of
1: Discam, pharmacists who care. Good morning to you and my name is Kathy Kayla and I'm speaking to Dr. Stan Lipschitz, we're talking about dementia. Now if you've only just tuned in, let me give you a very broad synopsis of what we're talking about. Dementia is the think of it as like the big mama, the mama term. Within dementia there's you get different kinds of dementia. You get Alzheimer's dementia, you get vascular dementia, you get all different kinds of dementia. Um something else that Dr. Lipschitz said is that there's a natural part of aging which is called mild cognitive impair- impairment which is uh you know it's when we become a little bit forgetful, uh we can't remember the name of somebody who we know very very well, we can picture them, we just can't remember their, their name. Or perhaps uh, if we're driving somewhere and uh we become a little bit disorientated, no?
0: No. No, no. if is you get different? disoriented when you're That's driving, you're starting to get trouble. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. so you
1: know what? Let's actually talk about mm. the symptoms. Let's talk about the symptoms of dementia versus uh, mild cognitive impairment.
0: So the, the overlap between the two is a decline in memory. Okay. And remember, it's short-term memory. <clears throat> so it's last in, first out kind of memory. So that affects both... Mild cognitive impairment and patients with dementia
1: okay, so you 'll remember your your childhood, but yes. you won 't remember what you did what five did minutes it, ago
0: yeah, what you had for breakfast exactly, so, so that affects both with mild cognitive impairment uh, the the memory type of mild cognitive impairment or what we call the amnes- amnestic type that's the only deficit you may get a mild impairment with orientation or something but it won't be losing your way in the car it will be a momentary difficulty working out a direction but once you get other impairments of cognition uh remember it's memory speech and language orientation practical ability and executive functioning and then once you get a loss of ability to Cope with your day-to-day functioning. That's when the diagnosis of dementia is made.
1: Okay, so give me an example.
0: Okay, so <clears throat> if an ind- if an you know you'll have impairment of function. So you'll, for example, you'll have uh, an old female or male living at home on their own, and they were coping up to now. They were managing to go out and do their shopping. They would get appropriate utensils for. I mean. a, a Appropriate allowances for the house they'd be able to then cook their dinner, make their dinner, eat properly manage their pills and then one day the daughter starts noticing the bills aren't being paid and then there was one bill paid twice and they'll go into the house and they'll see food rotting in the fridge or they'll notice that Mom isn't eating properly, becoming tea and toast and then they'll notice that she's driving less or one day she goes out driving and she gets lost and she comes back three hours later.
1: Or doesn't come back.
0: Or doesn't come back. True. When you've got that loss of function, that's when a firm diagnosis of dementia is made. Now, there's a, obviously, there's a phase between normal and mild cognitive impairment and the development of the dementia, where we as as doctors are very concerned. We're noticing problems when we do psychometric testing, which is what we do in the office. We're picking up problems which are suggesting multiple deficits in cognition. So cognition is all the things we talked about earlier, memory and all the other things. And we're picking up problems in different domains of cognition. And when you get multiple domains of cognition and then the problems with functionality, that's when you make a formal diagnosis of dementia.
1: What sort of research is being done into Alzheimer's and dementia in general?
0: Because uh, most of the research in in dementia is in Alzheimer's, and it's one of the most researched areas in in medicine, and it's certainly uh, you know a goal to achieve. Uh, an appropriate prevention for Alzheimer's disease in the near future. The challenge, of course, is if you start treating to prevent in someone who's already got the disease, you know, the, the horse is bolted and the barn door closed. You can't fix something when the damage is complete. So once a person's got Alzheimer's disease, it's too late. You can – we'll talk about the treatment later perhaps – But the aim is to try and treat in a preventive sense far before that. So then the challenge, there's two challenges then How do you identify healthy people who are going to get Alzheimer's? And then the second part is, well, how do you address a treatment which will then stop the disease? So on the one hand, how do we make earlier diagnoses? Well, we're well underway there. And in fact, in the research setting, we can reasonably accurately tell, certainly in the mild cognitive impairment population, we can do tests to say whether this person is going to remain stable or alternatively convert to to Alzheimer's disease. And the tests we do, in clinical practice, you do the psychometric testing, you do genetic testing. And then you can do brain imaging. So you can do MRI scans. And then you can do overseas, not here. You can do something called amyloid PET scanning. And I'll come to that a little bit more with that in a moment. And then you can do also lumbar punctures to measure the amount of that abnormal amyloid that I spoke about earlier.
1: Right. So uh, if you've just joined us and you don't know what the amyloid and the tau proteins are, these are proteins that the body... Naturally produces and uh, they basically become plaques on the brain, but because for some reason in some individuals it can't process.
0: No, they're abnormally processed. Oh, they're abnormally So the processed. amyloid is broken down into smaller fragments. Okay. Uh, I don't want to get too and, and technical, and those the but those are the brain. damaging. And,
1: yeah. then and then the body doesn't recognize it as a substance that's created by the body and it starts fighting it. Exactly. Okay, so... And now um, we
0: can measure the levels of those amyloid fragments. And obviously if they're present in increased amounts in the brain, that will tell you that it's likely Alzheimer's. And when we do a lumbar puncture, if they're present in decreased amounts in the fluid, that also tells you you're likely to get Alzheimer's. So we can do all those tests. I guess the question is, well, why don't we do them? Because we don't.
1: Well, why don't
0: we? Well, it's very simple. At the moment, we don't have a treatment. So I don't have any medicine that I can give you which will stop you getting Alzheimer's. So morally and ethically, it's not considered appropriate now to tell somebody they're going to get Alzheimer's disease. And then they say, well, what can I do? And you say, well, nothing. But in the research field where we're developing new medicines and targets, it's very appropriate to then identify people who are going to get the disease and then give them an intervention. The aim, of course, in the future, when we develop those interventions, and we're doing these studies now in South Africa and all over the world, the aim will be in years to come, it will be a bit like you going to have your cholesterol checked. You know, you will ask your doctor, listen, I'm worried, I think I might be at risk of Alzheimer's because my mother got it and my grandmother did not and then you'd go to the doctor, we do the cognitive tests, the MRI scans, the lumbar puncture or the amyloid PET scan, whichever was appropriate. And then you can say, well, look, you're, you're very likely to get Alzheimer's, so take this medicine.
1: Wouldn't it be great if there was a vaccine?
0: There will be a vaccine. Will there be a vaccine? Yeah. So <clears throat> the preventive medicines that we're looking at is twofold. Number one, we're looking at Blocking the enzymes that break down the amyloid. Remember I told you amyloid protein gets broken down into small fragments. Yes. And it gets broken down by a certain enzyme. So we have the enzyme. We're able to block it. And at the moment, there are research studies being done at my center and many other centers worldwide to block that enzyme. So that's the one treatment. The other, the vaccine is there's a vaccination against the amyloid. Uh, and once again, we're doing studies on that where we give the vaccination and what it does is it it's almost like taking a sponge and sponging up the amyloid deposits in the brain. It breaks them down.
1: Before so, it actually develops those.
0: Yeah, well, you've got to do it early enough right. so that the damage is not there. Because if you do it later, the brain has actually destroyed itself. In trying to destroy the amyloid, it breaks down its own tissue. So you've got to do it earlier. Now, the challenge is, it sounds wonderful, what I just spoke about. You know, give a it drug really and you does block. sounds amazing. The <laughs> trouble is it may well be a lot more complicated than that because remember the tau, we haven't spoken about the tau, that's the other protein. Yes. And it may be that there's a combination of risk factors. It may well be that the other risk factors, vascular risk factors. So we're making progress, but the brain's pretty complex, as you know. So you don't want to think too simplistically. But there are studies being done on the amyloid side. There are studies being done on the taupera side. And at some stage, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, there will be a strategy which will prevent this disease.
1: That would be a good thing. Mm. Uh, My guest is Dr. Stan Lipschitz. We're talking about dementia. And if you've got any questions, you're welcome to send them through 34519 that's a text line you can also send a whatsapp on 061 8951019 Ronnie I will get to your uh, your text before that though can we just talk about um, So you said that there's research being done right? Yeah. and it's been done into the amyloid and into the tau and into the actual physiology yeah. is there any research that's being done in terms of management of of uh,
0: of the disease. Yeah. So the management, you know, we've been doing. I've been doing personally. I've been doing research on treating Alzheimer's disease for nine, twenty, twenty-five years, right. and we've made small progress. As I said, the problem is, by the time someone's got Alzheimer's disease, the damage is done. So over. Twenty-five, thirty years of research. Two classes of medications have been designed. Both of them available in South Africa. The one is called Danepasol. The original name is Aricept, and there's a few generics. And the other is called Memantine. And the original drug in South Africa was called Ebixa, and once again, there's several generics. So they they're easily available in South Africa, and they're both reasonably inexpensive if you take the generics which are reasonable what they do uh, they increase the amounts of certain chemicals in the brain so just to take a step back when your brain works you send messages and the messages are carried uh, by electrical impulses nerves and then chemical messengers and the two chemical messengers uh, are called acetylcholine and Uh, the other one for ibexo which is gabapentin and basically without getting too, too technical both drugs try and increase the levels of those chemicals so you almost flood the brain with a memory chemical and then the parts of the brain that have not yet been damaged will work a little bit better so that's the theory now in practice they do work but it's not like a magic wand Not like a bolt out of the blue. So memory improves a little bit. It's almost like the patient who has the disease is a little bit brighter and a little bit more functional. But more importantly, it kind of holds the patient where they are for a while. So it buys you a year or sometimes two years or even a little bit longer of function at that level. But inevitably, the damage is still continuing. So inevitably, the patient will then start declining at a later date. So all they do is they buy you a little bit of time and a little bit of function, but they don't stop the disease.
1: One of our listeners, Unsigned, wanting to know what's the difference between Alzheimer's and vascular dementia?
0: Okay, so we've talked a lot about Alzheimer's disease, where the damage is these plugs. Vascular dementia is basically a little stroke. Now... If you have a stroke in the brain, you damage a small area of the brain. If you have two strokes, you damage a larger area. Sometimes you have dozens, sometimes even hundreds of minute, minute little strokes. And then you damage cumulatively large areas of the brain. And you have essentially the same picture as Alzheimer's. Basically, you have loss of brain function. Clinically, it's, there's a, a different presentation. So if you're seeing an expert... on dementia, we will be able to differentiate what's a vascular dementia as opposed to an Alzheimer's dementia as opposed to a frontotemporal dementia. They will have specific presentations. But the end point of all of them is brain failure. The management, of course, is slightly different. So if you've got Alzheimer's, your treatment would be Donosept or Momantine. If you had vascular dementia, they don't really work that well. And if you're frontotemporal, those drugs don't work at all. They're contraindicated.
1: It actually sounds so complicated, but I'm just feeling more and more devastating, devastated as you're talking about this. Like it, it's just um, it's such a scary, scary thing. Uh,
0: yeah, but you, th- you need to think part. Th- I mean, the disease exists, as do many other diseases, and it's our job to try and manage the disease. As I've said, on the one hand, you want to work towards prevention. So their prevention is on a population level control for education, for poor diet, for lack of exercise, control for the blood pressure, control the cholesterol and the sugar and using all of those strategies at the level of a population you'll reduce the risk of dementia as a group of diseases by about a third. That's a huge intervention. I mean, no reason to be depressed about that. That's positive stuff. Then at the level of alzheimer's disease there's there's enormous amount of research going in to identifying patients with mci and we're doing at my center three different studies right now on patients with mci and we identify those who're likely to progress and then we give a straight, you know some intervention to try and prevent it one of those studies is eventually going to re- result in positive results. I, I I freely admit many studies are not positive, but that's the nature of research. Every time you do a study, you learn something more. And then we're even doing studies, uh, a new study where we're identifying healthy people, healthy people aged 60 to 75 who don't have any memory problem, who would like to enter a study, and then they... Do all the predictive tests, and if they are positive, then they too will get a medicine to try and prevent the disease. So, there's a lot of work being done so that you don't have to be depressed. So, there will be strategies to <laughs> reduce God, and after, prevent this.
1: As I was saying, after every Medical Monday show, you know, I'm convinced by the time I leave the studio, especially when we go through the symptoms, I'm convinced that I have it.
0: Yeah, that's what happens to every third year medical student. You know, as soon as you learn about the disease, you think you've got it. But
1: oh, no, definitely. I mean, you should have seen me after the prostate cancer show. That was, that I was an interesting one. promise you didn't unt- get
0: prostate cancer.
1: <laughs> okay, so uh, can we just – I, I want to – just get to some of these uh, questions that yes. are coming through from Pleasure our listeners, and thank you very much for the for the questions. You're welcome to send through your questions on three four five one nine. That's a text line, or on zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. That's the WhatsApp number. So Lindy's got a question, and uh, Lindy says, "How? So you may know that you're having these strokes, and that's re- that's in relation to um, the, vascular the vascular dementia, which is." these these small strokes that yes. you're having all the time? Would you know?
0: Sometimes you don't. So you, when you have strokes, you can have a large stroke which will give you a like a motor deficit. So you'll become weak in a hand or your speech will slur or your leg will become weak or if it's a transient, it'll become weak and then you'll recover. But there is damage in the brain. Sometimes the strokes are so small that you don't even know they've happened.
1: What does a stroke feel like?
0: Well, if they're very tiny, you won't know. If it's a larger stroke, or you, if you, you experience the deficit that results from the stroke.
1: And that's really <coughs> how you would know? You wouldn't feel anything at the time? No. Okay. No. Okay. Thanks, Lindy. hope that that answered. All right. M says, hi, I'm bipolar. My brain goes numb at times, and my body as well has bouts of lameness. Is this Alzheimer's? No.
0: No, bipolar is a completely different condition.
1: So what's causing the lameness in the, in the brain and the, or the numbness in the brain and the lameness in the body?
0: Yeah, look, I'm, I'm no expert on bipolar depression, so it's perhaps best to ask someone who knows more about it. But it's, it's, there's no association between bipolar mood disorder and Alzheimer's dementia or any of the dementias, in fact.
1: Is there a connection between Alzheimer's and other diseases, for example, diabetes?
0: Well, the only connection would be the vascular risk factors, because there is a large overlap. So so far, we've sort of implied that you get pure Alzheimer's, pure vascular. There's in fact a big
1: there's a crossover
0: overlap and crossover. So if you have vascular risk factors, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, then your risk of developing Alzheimer's disease is increased. And oftentimes, when you look at a patient, it's impossible to differentiate. Is it vascular or is it Alzheimer's? And to be a bit morbid, even after death, even if you do post-mortem analyses of the brain, it's sometimes impossible to say which was Alzheimer's and which was vascular. So there is an overlap. Part of the prevention, whether it's vascular dementia or Alzheimer's, is controlling the vascular risk factors. Mm-hmm. And as your guest asked, diabetes is a strong one.
1: Yeah. Um, somebody asking what the name and address of the center is where you work. But if we can give that at the at the yeah, end. Yeah, I'll
0: perhaps leave that with you. And
1: well, we can give it at the end. Yeah. Um, also, Chris, thank you so much. He says, I suffer from planning and executive skills impairment following a head injury. Could you talk about that a bit?
0: yeah so um <clears throat> head injuries are, you know of course depending on the 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 nature and the severity of the insult will will damage brain tissue uh that 's to be differentiated from pure alzheimer 's disease so, for example, we get pugilist 's dementia uh where people repeatedly get hit on the head, and many of your listeners will have seen programs on uh, high level alcohols, sports yeah. sports people getting repetitive brain injury it 's not that 's not alzheimer 's disease but it 's a different different form of brain injury uh,
1: what percentage of people get dementia? Do we know do we have stats on that
0: yeah so <clears throat> let 's talk about alzheimer 's as a separate entity so alzheimer 's is very rare. In young age, there is an inherited form of Alzheimer's disease, young onset Alzheimer's disease, which is associated with three different gene types. And if your parent has that gene, you have almost a 50% chance of getting Alzheimer's. And that young onset Alzheimer's disease affects us when we're young, like 30 to 40. It's very, very rare But that follows in families. The families are well understood. We know the families. And they would
1: know that it's already there. And they
0: know it there. Okay. The older onset Alzheimer's disease is uncommon before age 60. So at age 60, it's about 1% of the population. And then the incidence doubles every five years. So 65, it's 2%. 70, it's 4%. 75, 8%. 80, 16%. 85%, 32%. So it's a disease associated with aging. So there's something that's happening in the older brain that is predisposing to the pathology that causes Alzheimer's.
1: So it's actually a wonder that many of these people who are living to be well over 100 all have their mental faculties. And many, many, many of them have.
0: Look, it's a half glass half full, half empty. So, you know, 40% of 85-year-olds of will have Alzheimer's, but 60% will not. So there are people who age very successfully and very well, who will age physically well and cognitively well.
1: Another question coming through. Can plaque in the carotid artery affect the brain function? Yes. That's a fantastic question. Thank
0: you. Okay, fantastic so, so we now? talked about vascular dementia. Yes. So vascular dementia involves strokes. The strokes can come from abnormalities of the heart. So for example, if you've got a fibrillation, which is an irregular heartbeat, it predisposes to clots, and those little clots can go up from the heart to the brain. If you've got plaque in the carotid arteries, that decreases the flow that blocks between the heart and the brain, and you can get blockage, and that can cause a stroke. You can also get strokes from chronic high blood pressure, which de- blocks the vessels. Similarly with diabetes. So all of those are different causes of vascular damage.
1: That's so interesting. Um, and this is going to sound completely ridiculous to you, but I'm going to try it all the same. You're just going to have to bear with blondie, blondie over here. Um, I've done a number of different shows on sleep. Yeah. And sleep is when the brain... Actually detoxes, yes. right? It's almost reboots like, would be a bit. It one. reboots, yeah. but there's actual there's a there's an exchange of brain fluid where it actually cleans your your brain fluid, right? Could sleep have an impact on Alzheimer's?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Yes, I don't, it, not directly on Alzheimer's, but brain function would be a, a, better, a better question. One. So as you rightly say you know just like a computer reboots when you press reboot so every night when you go to sleep your brain reboots if you interfere with that rebooting process your brain function may be impaired so you can get cognitive problems for example if you have sleep apnea I don't know if you know about sleep apnea but it's a condition where when you go to sleep, for whatever reason, you stop breathing. And, and it, it keeps waking you up. And it, well, it wakes you up because you stop breathing. And, and often otherwise you, you don't die. know that you've woken up. Exactly. Out. But people wake up 100, 200 times a night. And <laughs> as they stop breathing, so their levels of carbon dioxide go up and oxygen goes down. And, of course, that's going to impair brain function. But that's a reversible cause of brain function yeah. as opposed to an irreversible cause. So dementia is irreversible. The reversible. Once
1: it's happened, yeah, exactly, as you said, the yeah. horse is bolted,
0: right? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't want to sort of talk too much about sleeping tablets, but sleeping tablets also block your rebooting process. And, you know, geriatricians like myself are not that keen on sleeping tablets because they don't allow the brain to recover. They suppress the brain, and they impair brain function. But those are not causes of dementia. There are some other drugs Which increase the likelihood of dementia.
1: Like? What kind of drugs?
0: Um, So remember I talked about acetylcholine earlier. I Uh, said acetylcholine is the memory chemical. Yes. So there are a class of drugs called anticholinergic drugs. They block acetylcholine.
1: Why would they do that?
0: Because acetylcholine works elsewhere. So, for example, it works on pain. Um, And if you block acetylcholine, you can reduce pain, and it Ah. also works on the bladder. So if you've got an overactive bladder and if you block acetylcholine, you can reduce the amount that you have to go to the toilet. So drugs have been developed in that class. The trouble is if you take them chronically at high doses, they can impair your brain function, and in fact, they have been shown to increase the risk of dementia. So those sorts of drugs are to be avoided if at all possible.
1: My name is Kathy Kayla. I'm speaking to an absolutely fascinating, fascinating doctor. His name is Dr. Stan Lipschitz, and uh, we're talking about dementia. He's a geriatrician. Uh, at the end of the of the program, we will actually give out his contact details, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Yeah. We won't give out your mobile number. It'll <laughs> be your it'll be your practice number. Um, but if you've got any questions, then let us know. Three four five one nine. That's the text line. Those texts are charged at one Rand fifty. You can also WhatsApp on zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Nikki, I love this question that you've sent in. She says how much does doing puzzles like Sudoku and learning new things help? I love that question. <laughs> because it means that we're constantly interested yeah. and you know, it brings in all different Elements to health, being mindful, all all sorts of things.
0: So we talked a lot about education earlier, and uh, also talked about exercising. So exercising your body is important. Uh, Just as an aside, exercise is one of the ways of preventing Alzheimer's or vascular dementia. Um, Using the brain at any time, a brain that's being actively stimulated is going to function better. So I don't know that there's any evidence that doing those puzzles or whatever prevents Alzheimer's, but certainly you'll be functioning better while you're doing them. And And part of the management, we talked about the management, part of the the management of Alzheimer's is focused activities. So we we talked a little bit earlier about drugs. In fact, that's the smallest part of the management of patients with Alzheimer's disease. And perhaps we've got a bit of time we we can... Let's talk
1: about the management of it. Okay, firstly, before we do that, can we talk Mm. about diagnosis? Yes. Right. So uh, I've got a relative who is finding themselves, um, (coughs) excuse me, Um, they get very, very, listen to me, I'm tongue-tied. You see, I told you, I told you, I'm I'm convinced that I have Alzheimer's. No, you
0: don't. Yeah, no. The symptoms that we we talked about earlier—the loss of memory and uh, perhaps loss of speech and orientation and functionality—and now and right? They get yeah.
1: disoriented, and uh, they get lost. They're not yeah. able to look after themselves. Uh, very, very forgetful. Sometimes, somebody who's been a really, really calm person their whole lives becomes vicious, and the- and you know, and 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 hits out. Yeah. I, w- I now bring this relative of mine to you. What, yeah, what mean, are you firstly, going
0: to do? It's not possible for me or the few geriatricians in Joburg to see every single patient who has a memory disorder. So you know, I'd encourage you if, or any of the listeners, if you worried that a relative might have a cognitive disorder, your first stop should be your, your GP or house doctor uh, and raise the issue with them. Uh, Most doctors should be able to do a simple screening test. And many of them will then refer refer on to specialist colleagues to do proper assessments. So if a patient comes to me, the first thing I do is I always consult the patient with their important others. Because one of the things about dementia is lack of insight. So if I ask the patient if they've got a problem, they'll say no and the family will say yes, so it's the nodding or shaking head sign. Okay, if that's important. If the patient important. shakes head and the patient and the family nod head, that means there's a problem, that lack of insight. And then I get corroborative evidence, uh, sorry, information from the patient and their family about where the problems are. So I ask, is there a problem with memory? We talk about orientation. We talk about their ability with practical abilities. We talk about their ability with executive functioning. Are they able to manage their pills? Are they able to manage their monthly bills? All of those things. So that history takes quite a lot of time because there's lots of information I get. Once I've done that history, I also get obviously a history of education. You know, what was their function when they were good? Um, Then you do... Neuropsychological testing or psychometric testing, if you like. <clears throat> and that's where we do cognitive tests. And there's a whole variety of different cognitive that tests. Like Trump just had. Uh, right? Did he pass?
1: He did pass, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, but we, we do a various tests depending on what we think the problem is. And there are well-validated tests <clears throat> that we can use in clinical practice. And the tests measure all the things we've talked about. So they measure your ability to, mem- to, to remember. They remember your. Ex- they, they test your executive functioning. They test your orientation. All those things. <clears throat> and then we've got normative values, so we can then look and and compare to normative values, and we can say, well, the problem exists. And then, <coughs> I'm really sorry about that. We can then use the tests and the results to try and define the type of dementia that it is. Okay, which is important for the treatment. Yeah, once we've done that, we say, look, all right, this patient has normal memory, in which case we reassure them. Or we say the patient has, we're not sure, either mild cognitive impairment or early dementia. We can't really separate, and we always call that MCI until proven otherwise. Or we can say, look, this patient has cognitive deficits, and in addition to that, they have functional elements, and therefore they have a dementia. So you separate people into three broad groups. For the people who are cognitively normal, we reassure them, and we say, (coughs) okay, focus on healthy lifestyle, uh, do the exercise, healthy diet, control your vascular risk factors, and if you're worried, come back and see me at some whatever time. For patients with mild cognitive impairment, there you'd monitor because that's your, you know, your high-risk population, yeah. so you'd monitor them more closely. So every six months, or every nine months, or every year, if you think it's relatively mild. For the patients who then have a major problem, you then investigate and 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 then initiate treatment further.
1: Can elderly people have memory issues during times of stress?
0: Yeah, well, stress or is going. Does become
1: to more pronounced?
0: Of course. Uh, and one of the difficulties when you're doing cognitive testing is that it induces stress. And the more stressed somebody is, you know, the less perfectly they're going to perform. Yeah. So, of course, stress comes into it. Depression comes into it.
1: I other medical disorders. Because
0: there's the another thing. disease which also causes brain failure, and that's called delirium. Delirium causes, is acute brain failure where you, your brain stops working because of some other medical illness. So old people who go to to hospital often get delirium. They get acutely confused and disoriented in hospital. Uh, Sometimes an elderly person who's perfectly normal gets a bladder infection, a severe bladder infection, and they will get acutely confused. That's not to be confused with dementia. That's acute. It's being caused by the insult, whatever it might be. And if you reverse the insult... Oftentimes, you can reverse the cognitive disorder.
1: Absolutely fascinating. All right, so let's look at uh, the management.
0: Okay.
1: Have you looked, and before we do this, and I want to tell you a story. I used yeah. to have a business called Rent-A-Pet. I had a personal zoo. And mm. the reason that they had the zoo is not because I just love animals, but it was educational programs. Yeah. And during school holidays, all the animals used to come back to me. And... uh some of the animals were more needy of human attention and myself and my staff couldn't do all of that. So we would take them for day visits to old age homes. Went to uh, Sandringham Gardens, Mm. they called us in the one day and uh, they sent us to the OT department and we went with all different animals. We went with birds and we went with all different animals. And uh, the lady there, her name was Sandra, She was doing a study. She called me up the next week. She said, could you come back and could you please bring the rabbits again? And I said, why? And she said, because um, our Alzheimer Alzheimer patients had a very, very good reaction Mm -hmm. to the rabbits. And so we went and we went off to Ward 1A in Sandringham Gardens. And we sat with each patient with different rabbits. And the lady that I was sitting with, she... She she was sitting in a chair, curtains were closed, she was holding a handbag, and she was just, she didn't respond at all. When I greeted her, when I touched her hand, I put the rabbit in her, in her lap, and I took her hand and I started stroking the rabbit, and it must have been minutes, and I kept talking to her and saying, this is Snowflake, and can you feel how soft he is, and he's a white rabbit, and... uh the next thing, she just came back and she said, oh, I hope he doesn't pee on me. And I said to her, did you have animals growing up? Have you had pets? She said, my dear, I can't remember.
0: Mm. Yeah. Look, what you've touched on is, is the management of Alzheimer's. <clears throat> um, so it's the most important part of the, of the management by far is, is the environment. Uh, so an environment that's not stressful, an environment that's controlled, <coughs> an environment where everything is planned. So and and good homes that care for Alzheimer patients will do this. It's contained. It's familiar. Uh, every day is non-challenging. You wake up in the same time, in the same amount of light. Routine. Routine. There is activities, I mean sitting and looking at the wall is not very good for the brain or sitting and staring at the TV is not. So there are activities that stimulate the brain but not in excess because if you overstimulate an individual with Alzheimer's can't cope, they get agitated, they get angry, frustrated. So you need activities that are specially tempered to the needs and to the abilities of the individual. And then you have the diet. Breakfast must be in a familiar place. It must be the same breakfast, similarly with lunch, similarly with dinner. You have afternoon activities, which include exercise. And then you have activities like pet care. So there's numerous kinds of therapies. You can have pet therapy. You can have art therapy. You can have reminiscence therapy. You know, with what reminiscence. Is reminiscence well, you, you're plugging into the concept that longer-term memory is better attained than short-term memory. So you have old photographs, uh, so family members, so music. they can remember. Old music.
1: Smells, I imagine, exactly.
0: also. And some homes have ingenious systems where the whole home is designed as a 1950s kind of environment.
1: How incredible. So people
0: are plugging into long-term memory. And all of these are management strategy. So the most important people in the management strategy are the caregivers, whether they're formal, hired caregivers or informal family. And that's where huge interventions are possible. So societies like Alzheimer's South Africa, the rest homes whether the the matron or the chief nurse is educating the caregivers, supporting them, uh Societies which support the families, the job they're doing is thankless, it's never-ending, and they do enormous work, fantastic work. And if you support the caregivers, uh, you you will improve the care dramatically. I don't know if you heard on CNN about a week ago, they've, they've appointed in the Brit- in UK a Minister for Loneliness. No Recognizing how important it is To not have older people Whether they're demented or not demented Isolated I
1: actually yeah. saw that as a headline this morning On the Daily Mail In the, the UK loneliness, they said that loneliness is a greater killer than obesity Yeah And it causes
0: Alzheimer's And it causes people <coughs> who are caring You know you have a husband and wife team The wife gets dementia Or the husband gets dementia The other person acts as their sole caregiver And they're stuck It's a 24-hour care, seven days a week, Hmm.
1: 365 days a year. um, One last question, and then we're going to have to wrap up, Dr. Lipschitz. Uh, Elizabeth Seif, thank you so much for your message. She says, does Lyrica suppress the brain? What's Lyrica?
0: Yeah, so Lyrica, it's, it's a drug which was originally designed for epilepsy. More recently, it's use has been expanded and it's actually registered for the management of chronic pain, in particular pain from nerve damage. Um, it it does suppress the brain, but usually temporarily. So people who go onto to high doses get very drowsy and they may get confused. Sometimes you can get used to it and you can learn to tolerate it. Uh, it needs to be used with great caution in the elderly, Remember, the older brain is more vulnerable than right. the younger brain. Um, if it's being used for pain, you need to start at very small doses. You need to increase the dose very, very slowly and preferably give it later in the day because it does make you very sleepy and it may also predispose to falls in old people and neither of those are very good. So of it course. doesn't cause Alzheimer's as such, yeah, but it can cause drowsiness and acute, more acute confusion.
1: I've been speaking to geriatrician, Dr. Stan Lipschitz. Thank you very, very much. How do we get in touch with you? Where do you practice?
0: Uh, I'm practicing in Rosebank, in a house in Rosebank, in Jellicoe Avenue. We're not into for business, yeah. Okay. No, I'm just saying because there was a
1: question earlier about uh, where you practice.
0: Yeah, you can Google or or I can (laughs) leave my details with you and they (laughs) can contact the. The, the, the practice okay
1: yeah. thank you very very much my
0: pleasure
1: and uh, to you thank you so much for joining us if you've missed part of this and you'd like to listen to the whole uh, podcast then get to our website c h a i f m c-h-a-i-f-m.com thank you so much to discim medical mondays well thank you to you thank you to discim for medical mondays god bless bye
0: Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Dischem, pharmacists who care.